So this is actually week four, if you're new around here. Uh, this is week four for us as of being gathered together in a building. I'm really thankful to be in here and excited about what God has been doing over the last three weeks. So we've been in a vision series looking at what God has called us to and really centered around this phrase of, of who God has made us to be, which is, we are a family of missionary disciples who live to see God's will done in Spokane as it is in heaven. So it's this, this phrase that we've kind of begun to unpack over the first three weeks, really focusing on those identities at the beginning, which is family of missionary disciples. So Matt Deason, over the first three weeks, and if you haven't heard him, uh, you can actually go on our website and go back and listen to the teachings. Um, but family, mission, and uh, missionary, and disciple is these three identities that Matt Deason has unpacked over the first three weeks. And then what we get to do today is kind of talk a little bit about practicality and how we live that out, especially as a church that is gathered here in the building on Sundays, but also scattered throughout the week. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to start reading in verse 4. So Acts 1.4 says, On one occasion, while he, that's Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them, uh, them is the disciples, this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they, that's the disciples, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I don't know if when you were younger, if uh, your parents went away for the night or for the weekend or maybe on a vacation, and they kind of gave you these you know, parting directions right before they left. So for me, it was always... Uh, I have an older brother named Aaron. It was, it was something to the effect of always, Aaron, take care of your little brother, or Aaron, don't terrorize your little brother, which is really nice because I always got away with a lot as the younger sibling because the direction was never given to me. It was always given to my older brother of, of here's what you ought to do over the course of time that my parents would be gone. And we do the same thing. So if you're a teacher or if you're, a, you're leading a team, you're a captain or something, what happens when you're going to be gone for a period of time is that you 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 give parting directions of what people ought to do in your absence. And, and really, uh, that's what we're reading here in Acts 1. And we read it two weeks ago as well, uh, when we read Matthew 28, which has come to be known as the, the Great Commission. It's Matthew's recording at the end of this biography of what Jesus uh, tells his disciples to do when he goes away. And in a similar way, that's what's going on here in Acts chapter 1. And notice... Uh, what Jesus says. So Jesus has told them that they're going to go, that they're going to be witnesses to the very ends of the earth, but he tells them to wait, which should make us kind of think and pause. If we're supposed to go, well, why do we need to wait? Well, he says, you should wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8 is really this, this mission statement of what's going to happen throughout the rest of the book of Acts, which is that they're going to, they're going to be in Jerusalem and then in all Judea and Samaria, and they're going to go to the very ends of the earth. So what Jesus is doing here is giving them these directions of what they ought to do. They're going to go, but first they need to wait to receive the Spirit. And if we were to read further in Acts 2, we'll see that that actually happens. So if you turn to Acts 2, verse 1, we see, When the day of Pentecost came, 
They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So there's this crazy event that happens when the Spirit comes. So Jesus promises a Spirit, the Spirit is sent, and the, the church is established. And, and that mission that Jesus had given them in Matthew 28 and, hap, and happens again in Acts 1, it really starts. So if we were to read on in Acts 2, which we're going to, what happens is that there's all these Jews in Jerusalem at that time for the Festival of Weeks. It's Pentecost. And they're there, and then they, they notice what's going on with this kind of crazy event that happens at the beginning of Acts 2, and they're all really surprised. And they ask, what's going on? And Peter takes the opportunity to explain to them who Jesus is and what's going on in this situation. And then their response is, well, what must we do to be saved? What how do, we, how do we join in with this? And Peter tells them to repent and be baptized. And then in verse 41, we'll pick up again. We see those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They, some people who were added, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So why are we reading this? I'll answer that question. So we're reading this because what we are doing and the vision that we've laid out over the first three weeks, it's not something new that we're just coming up with. What we see in Acts 2 is this, is this the clearest picture of what the early church did, and, and we want to stand in the same tradition of that. But unashamedly, we do what we do, and we are how we are because of, of the example of the faithful people who have gone before us. So what we want to do is kind of reset ourselves and, and ask the why question. Why do we do what we do? Because it is super easy. It's so easy to just do what you've always done, especially in the context of church, right? So it, you probably have heard this passage read a hundred times. If you've ever been to church before, I, I know I've heard it read in multiple churches of, hey, this is who we want to be. And, and so that's not an original thing to us, but we want to center ourselves around what, what the the people who follow Jesus face-to-face, how they lived it out. We want to take it and we want to uh, make it fit and understandable in our day and age living in Spokane, Washington in the year 2016 and with the lives that we have, if that makes sense. So we're going to take what happens there and translate it in a sense to what we're doing here now. So we start with identities, the family of missionary disciples, because that's what we see going on here in Acts 2. So, if you will, just kind of bear with me as I, as I read through it, um, what we see as far as, uh, there's amazing things going on here. Uh, we see that the Spirit is at work, that people get healed, that people's lives are transformed. We see that there's this, there's this commonality among the disciples. They hold all things in common, which doesn't mean that they all rooted for Zags basketball or, or were all watching the Washington State game last night when they beat U of O. It's not what it means. It means that they held everything in common, meaning they, their possessions were, were together. They, they actually, they, they were willing to sell their own possessions for someone else who had need. 
Now, I don't know if, if, if we hear that, because that's, I, I can never imagine myself doing that, or I would normally never believe that I would do that. And it would be crazy to see a group of people actually live something like that out. But that's what the early church did. And we see that there's this devotion, there's this commitment, and there's this love that they have for one another. And, and we, in a way, want to be like that. Now, caveat, the, the first church wasn't at all perfect. So if you read through the book of Acts, or if you read Galatians, or if you read 1 Corinthians, there's all kinds of bad and, and messed up and jacked up stuff going on. So, for example... In the book of Acts, you have just blatant racism. Certain widows are overlooked because of their uh, nationality. And then you can read about in Galatians, there's this infighting between Jews and Gentiles. And then in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians, there is a a guy who's sleeping with his stepmom, which if you're wondering if that's okay, that's not okay. Just to lay that out on the table. At at River's Edge, that's a a no-go. But... (laughs) So what I'm, what I'm not saying is that, this, that these people were perfect and they had it all figured out and so we just have to do that. Because that's not true and that's not, that's not the reality. But what I am saying is that there's a ton here to learn from. And when we set out our vision and we set out our why we do what we do, we want to look to what these faithful people did. So if you were to look down again at verse 42 you would see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So all wrapped up in that is is really these identities of of disciple and family. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There's this radical generosity going on there. And then if you were to skip down just again to verse 47... And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's clearly this missionary impulse of what the early church did. And, and we would also see, if we were to read uh, some other historical sources, about what the other things that the church did that were pretty radical in their day and age. Uh, things like in the city of Ephesus, there was this hill where, where people would leave their unwanted children to die, just to, to be exposed and to die, whether it be eaten by animals or, or the heat would kill them. And what the early church did in Ephesus was they went and they rescued those children and they adopted them into their homes. There's this, this radical work for justice and righteousness. And we, all, we will also see that in the early church where the outside culture would have said that women were less than men, women were actually treated like sisters and equals inside the church. There's these amazing things going on where the, the church was able to live out their God-given identities in, in ways that we, in part, want to try and emulate. So what we want to do is, is really start with the why. So instead of just launching into the to-do lists or the, the uh, doing what we've always done and just taking off in a dead sprint, we want to start and center ourselves on the why. But let's get real for a moment. Doing all this and, and, and living that out and living as a, it's truly as a family of missionary disciples, it, it's really difficult. If you've tried to do the following Jesus thing for very long, you might have not done a perfect job, if you're anything like me, because it, it's really, really difficult. But what else would we expect? I mean, would we expect it to be like joining like a team or joining a country club? Or maybe we should expect it to be like having to die and, and die to ourselves. And that's, the, that's the language that Jesus gives when he calls his disciples, is that, that you should die to yourself. They should pick up your cross daily. Die to yourself and follow him. 
the call to the fishermen, as was referenced last week, wasn't, hey, Peter, uh, maybe bring like some of your fish along and some of your fishing supplies. And you know what? Well, you can keep doing that, but then follow me like on the weekends, I guess. No, that would be just foolish. The call was for them to leave everything and to follow Jesus. And so that should be really difficult. We should expect that to be something that is, is not coming naturally to us because it cuts against our culture, it cuts against our flesh, it cuts against our selfish desires. We should actually expect that to be something that doesn't come supernaturally, very naturally. Kind of confusing language there. So just to recap really briefly, as we looked at uh, in Acts 2, um, we are who we are because of who God is and what he's done. He has established this church, and he has established, in Acts 2, he's established this church, he sent the Spirit, and they're living their identities out. It's not that they're trying to be a family, it's that God has called them together into a family, and so they live that out. It's not that they're trying to be disciples, it's that, that Jesus has called them in, and so they live like their apprentices to Jesus. And it's not like they're trying to be missionaries. It's that the Spirit has sent them out, and so they do missionary things. It, they're living out their identities as how God has made them. So since we've established the why, let's talk just a little bit about the what and how. If you have been around uh, River's Edge for very long, you've heard us use the language of gather and scatter. Who's heard us kind of use that language? Show of hands. Vaguely. Okay. So what you'll see on the invite cards or on the website is this language of gather and scatter. And why do we do that? Well, in part, because we believe that God has called us to be a church that gathers together on Sundays, but we're also scattered throughout the week, the other however many hours there are in a week. There's seven days, and for an hour and a half or two hours on a Sunday, we come together, and that's important. And really briefly, just to talk about why we do what we do, Singing songs is important, and and listening to the scriptures taught is important, and fellowshipping together is important, and drinking coffee is really important, which is why I'm, like, upset at myself that we're going to get the coffee figured out eventually, I promise. But all those things are important, but really, what we want to center ourselves around, that we say that we gather around the bread and the cup every week. So in part, what we do is we sing to prepare ourselves, yes, for the teaching, and in worship to God, but the teaching is also kind of a preparation for what we do in remembering Christ's sacrifice around the bread and the cup. And, and that all preps us and, and to receive the bread and the cup, which actually in a way preps us to go out and be scattered. Uh, it's this, this reminder to us of who God is and what he has done every single week. And then we, we go back to song because we want to respond in worship to God for what he has done and what we just remembered. So if you've ever wondered, like, I wonder why they do things that way. That's why we do, really briefly, why we do things that way. But gathering together is really important. It's a crucial part of who we are and and what we do. But let's talk about scattering, because we really, we've just glossed over it over the last three weeks, but we're going to get really deep into it tonight. So, visuals. There we go. Okay, kind of looks like a Venn diagram, because it kind of is. But we've talked about these three identities of family, mission, disciple, or missionary, but it wouldn't fit in the little circle. So we are a family of missionary disciples is, is language that we've used, and you will hear us continue to use. And, and what we want when we talk about scattering is we want to live out those identities in community together, okay? And we call that missional community. 
We're going to live out these identities together in community, in relationship to one another, and we call that missional community. And it's in balance. So there's the reason that they intersect is because the, what we want as a scattered church is to be living in this region where, where we're balanced between those different identities, that we're living them all out healthfully. Because it, it's really easy to get out of whack. So really quickly, why do we call them missional communities? Why not community groups? Why not cell groups? Why not di- discipleship groups? Why not house churches? I'm trying to think of the other hundred examples. Why not those things? There's actually an importance to that. The reason that we call them missional communities is because we, we want them to start with and center around mission. And I'll explain why that is. But we want to have our missional communities centered around mission. And I'm going to explain that and unpack that and explain why that is. But what happens very often when we gather around things other than mission, whether it be an event or an out of the week or say a demographic, like, a, like we're all young marrieds, so we get together with other young marrieds, what happens is this little graph kind of gets out of whack. So what happens is that we tend to focus on, on one or two of the identities to the, to the neglect of the other. So we might do family really well, and, and some disciples, like we start growing as disciples a little bit, and, but we really focus on one or two of the identities. And, and just as bad or just as unhealthy as if we were to focus completely on mission and, and ignore the others. This would be bad as well. So what we want, to go back to the original image, is to live in this well-balanced, living out our identities together in relationship to one another. So how do we do that? And what do I mean by centered around mission? Well, really, there's three ways to center yourselves around mission. The first way is mission around a social justice issue. So but this, is, this can take many forms, and I've been a part of missional communities that have done this. What's the next one? I've been a part of missional communities that have done this around, say, like DSHS or an organ, it's DHS, uh, or around foster care or around refugee care. One way to structure a missional community is mission around a justice issue. To say, hey, there's something that burns so deep in my heart that I know I need to do something about it. That's the sort of the thing that we're talking about when we talk about centering a missional community around social, a, a justice issue. The, the second way to structure a missional community is around a place. Most often, this takes the form of a neighborhood. So in short, just so you know, where you live and where you work and where you spend your time actually matters. You know, if we were to read through, through the entire book of Acts, you would see in Acts 17 that Paul makes this interesting claim that where you live has actually been determined by God. That there is a meaning to where you are right now, whether it be as a student for two years or four years or a year, or it's because you live in the city and have been here for 50 years. Where you live actually matters. And it matters because you have an understanding of that place that other people who aren't there don't understand. So, for example, if you were going to go be a missionary in the country of Uganda, which is in Africa, in eastern Africa, you, you would have a hard time doing that if you lived in Germany. Because you wouldn't understand the language, you wouldn't understand the culture, you wouldn't understand the unique issues that, that face people in Uganda, and you really have a really hard time developing relationships in order to share the gospel with people in Uganda. Now, it might happen, 
because people come in and out of Uganda to Germany. But it's harder to do that unless you're actually there. In the same way, and in a much more microcosm kind of way, you, as a student, say, at Whitworth, have a way better understanding of what goes on at Whitworth than someone who's not, or even that I do as someone who works there. You, as a student, have an understanding of, of the culture, of the issues that people face that other people don't get. And so there's actual meaning and purpose to where you are and being able to structure yourselves around that place and, and, and mission to that place can actually be a really great thing. And the last one is, I think I put mission around affinity group. And, and really what I mean is people, mission around a people. And the easiest way to explain this is to use an example. So uh, I used to work at a church back in Portland, which is the church that sent us out. And one of the, one of the groups, one of the missional communities there, they, they had been going to square dancing every Tuesday night for years. Square dancing? I've never done it. But I think I'd be awful. Um, what they did was they had been going to square dancing every Tuesday night for like three or four years. And when we rolled out the idea of missional communities, they had already developed relationships there. They had gotten to know people. They had gotten to know needs. They're like, well, hey, is it, is it okay if we have a missional community centered around the, the like square dancing community? Like, yes, absolutely. You, you already have those relationships developed. You, you already have those friendships there. Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you just start hosting a dinner on Tuesday nights and inviting in believers and non-believers together? Like, that's a great idea. And, and that's what I mean by mission around an affinity group or a people, is there might be situations in your life where you're like, you know what, there's this unique group of people that I've been placed in or around that I have, I have feel this sense of, you know what, I, I could be a part of something that reaches out to and establishes relationships with and loves, serves, and shares the gospel with these people. Really quickly, when I use this word mission, um, a lot of like red flags go off in my own head. So... What I don't mean is that you get the soapbox and, and like a hundred Bibles and then stand up on the soapbox and start throwing Bibles out at people. That's not what I mean. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, I think, Matt Deason. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of how you do that next week, kind of that process of how the, how the Spirit might lead you into those conversations. I'm getting like a halfway nod from him. But what I mean, it quite simply, is that Mission, if, if you were to go back and listen to last week's teaching, is to be a part of God's mission to the world as a sent people who, who work with God as he seeks to reconcile the world to himself. Kind of high language. What I mean is three, three things. Love, serve, and share the gospel. In that order. So when we talk about mission, we mean loving, serving, and sharing the gospel with either the people in a, in a specific you know, social justice area or people in a specific place or an affinity group. So that's what I mean by mission. So what we're going to do as we wrap up here is I'm going to talk just about three things. And we're going to give some really clear next steps for, hey, that sounds really interesting. What do I do with it? We'll get some, some really practical, practical ways to take the next steps in that. And honestly, we hope that every single one of you want to jump into that. I, we know that not everyone is, but we would love to have people say, yeah, that idea of missional community and that idea of being part of a missional community that's centered around one of those things, I would love to be a part of that. What we're going to do is have you fill out these, these little cards and then, and then come early next week 
to uh, a launch class. But before I get to that, I have to give, give two caveats. The first caveat is that missional community, it's a vehicle, not the end goal. When we talk about being in a missional community and being a part of a missional community, it, it's not the end goal. The end goal, if we were to go back to that graph, is to be in the middle, to be living out our identities in relationship to one another. That's the end goal. Missional community is really just a vehicle. It's just a mode for us to get to that place, and it's the best one that we know about right now. So it's not perfect, and the systems aren't perfect, and how we've structured things aren't perfect, but that's, that's the vehicle that we've decided to try and get us there. That was actually my second point. Point number one was... Was that missional community and, and being a family of missionary disciples is about identity and not an event. What I mean by that is that I am assuming that many of you are thinking, well, how am I going to add that into my schedule? I'm already pretty darn busy. What I mean is that you're not going to have to, or hopefully, add anything to your schedule. The idea is that you're living this out as an identity, and it's not something that you add into your calendar. It's something that's foreign and and different from what you would normally be doing. An example of what I mean by this, even going back to the square dancing group, is everyone eats dinner. How many of you eat dinner, like most nights? Most people? Missional community, an appropriate way to, to launch these and to start these is just start eating dinner together in an, in an intentional way and say, hey, you know what? Every Wednesday night, we already eat dinner at 5.30. We eat dinner really early in our house. We're going to eat dinner, and we're going to invite people in. We're going to invite people from River's Edge, and we're going to invite our neighbors, or we're going to invite people we work with or people that we go to school with. We're just going to, we're going to eat dinner, but we're going to do it with other people. That's in a totally appropriate way to, to live this out in something that you don't have to add anything to your, your schedule. It's just taking a different lens on stuff that you're already doing. So, so it's important just to point out that this is about identity and not an event. It's not about adding something into your schedule. But it's about reshaping the way that you view the things that you're already doing and the places that you already are and the, the issues that you're already involved with. And then that second point is really key too. Missional community is not the end goal. The end goal is not to have everyone be able to check off, hey, I'm an official missional community. It's, the end goal is to be living in that space where we have this healthy balance of living as a family of missionary disciples.